following sermon was recorded during the Sunday morning gathering of Grace Community Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We are a group of Christians that exists to joyfully extol and magnify the true and living God, to faithfully proclaim the Christ-centered word, to build each other up by speaking the truth in love, and to bring the good news of the gospel to our city and world, so that the Lamb who was slain may receive the full reward for his sufferings. For more information about us, please visit gcclascruces.com. Well, friends, if you'll open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy and chapter 3. the second letter of Paul to Timothy in chapter 3. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 9 as our text. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Friends, I invite you to hear the words of our living God this morning. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Yanis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've made some huge strides through Second Timothy thus far. We've seen Paul call upon Timothy to guard the gospel that's been entrusted to him. He's called upon him to never be ashamed of it, to profess it openly and freely, to suffer as a good soldier, to remember Jesus Christ, to be a worker approved by God, an honorable vessel, one that has been set apart as holy, useful to the master, and ready for every good work. We have seen Paul remind Timothy that part of his duty as a suffering soldier of Christ is to combat false teaching. And he continues that message today as we look at our text. Paul has come from just telling Timothy everything that he is to do. He says, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Do not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Be able to teach, patiently endure evil, correct opponents with gentleness. And he gives Timothy an end goal in mind, as we saw last week, starting in verse 
25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Timothy has been given a goal in mind. He said, go forth and do what I have commanded, that some might be saved. And now he's going to continue to talk about false teaching as we look at chapter 3. But he's going to talk about what false teachers are and what they do and what their impact will be. What these doctrines that they teach will lead to. None of them pleasing to God. None of them honoring to God. None of them living according to the truth of God. However, the reality is is that Paul desires that Timothy knows these false teachings, is able to identify the impacts that come from them, and the implications that come out of them, so as to both avoid them, but also to be able to address them. As we look at our text, I invite you to see four overarching points for this morning. He starts off the text, he says, in these last days, and so that'll be kind of our header. However, for, so for our first point, we're going to see, in these last days, there will be difficult times. Verse 1. Our second point will come from verses 2 through 5. In the last days, there will be disdainful actions. Point 3 will come from verses 6 and 7. In the last days, there will be disordered ambitions. And finally, in verses 8 and 9, our fourth point will be, In the last days, there will be denial of truth. So let us dive in to our first point for this morning. In the last days, there will be difficult times. Starting in verse 1 again, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. As we saw last week, Timothy and all believers are called upon to be honorable vessels, set apart as holy, useful, ready for every good work. Paul does what he's been doing this whole time, right? We've seen how he continuously contrasts what Timothy is supposed to be versus what these false teachers are. And he does the same thing here. He says, unlike what Timothy is and what all believers are called to be, false teachers, false doctrines will lead to certain things. Things that Timothy and us are to avoid. He says, understand this. He desires that Timothy has a deep knowledge Not in the sense of pursuing these things, not in the sense of being of these things, but understanding that as he sees them, this is what's happening. It's the false teaching and the false doctrines spreading. This is the impact that they'll have. He wants to draw attention. He says, understand it because you need to be aware of it. And he says that in these last days, right? What does he mean by the last days? We see these words being used throughout Scripture having kind of a varying sense of time, sometimes in the Old Testament leading towards Christ. Um, And then as we get into the New Testament, though, we get kind of a better picture of that. We see in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, as our brother said earlier, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So in these last days, 
from Christ's coming until his return. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, talking about the time again when Christ came, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on the flesh, right? So we saw the spirit come at Pentecost. So we know that in the last days was from Christ's coming until his return. It makes it clear that we are waiting upon his second coming. And this whole time from his first appearance until his return is these last days. And so congratulations, you're living in the midst of last days. We've heard preachers and teachers throughout history speak of the last days because they were living in them. Never knowing quite when that time will come, when the end will be, but knowing that we were in them today. And he says there will come times of difficulty. Times, meaning like eras, seasons, events, periods. And difficulty doesn't quite give, I think, the depth of what they're talking about here. The word in Greek actually changes to being fierce, perilous, savage, dangerous, hard to bear. These times are not simply just being difficult. We all go through difficulties. These are times of true fierceness, true peril, true savagery, being hard to bear, feeling like you can't take it any longer. Now this does indicate that there are varying times. Some will be less perilous than others, but nonetheless they will occur. This can also vary between areas and locations because we know here in America we're very fortunate. We're here to gather this morning. We can put signs outside and everyone knows this is a church gathering. We are a body of believers coming together. However, in the Middle East and in China and various places throughout the world, they would never dare to put a sign out. They would never dare to make it known lest everything that they were working towards be squandered by police capture, by torture, by death. We know, thankfully, though, that the Lord can use those things for mighty ways, right? For his glory. So in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. So we see our first point here. As we turn to our second point, he goes to describe a much in much more depth what we should expect to see in these last days. He gives some defining adjectives. So let us turn our attention to verses 2 through 5 as we look at our second point. In the last days, there will be disdainful actions. Reading back through verses 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, self, sorry, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For in these last days, people will be. What are these people that they're talking about? What is Paul trying to refer to? Is he referring to the unregenerate sinner? Well, that is probably true. Yes, they will have a lot of these signs. 
But that's not what he's pointing to here. He's pointing to these men that have professed belief and have abandoned the faith. Or have professed belief and show no sign of transformative truth, of the transformative truth of the gospel. It's these false teachers that claim to be a part of the faith, that claim to be a part of the believers, but then live as complete heathens, not walking in the truth, not experiencing the power of the truth, as it will say later, right? Denying its power. So as we look into Paul's descriptions here, or adjectives, we'll see that he uses them to describe these people. There's no order, per se, as to how Paul has organized them. They're not some increasing level of sinfulness or increasing level of evil. But he does something interesting here. He brackets them. You'll notice in the beginning, he says, lovers of self. And then at the end, he says, lovers of pleasure. So he brackets them with these two distorted views of love. The irony being that so many false teachers today preach solely about how God is love. Yes, amen, he is. But that's, where, that's not where it stops. That's not the end. God is love, but he is also just and merciful. He is righteous in all his ways. He's holy and perfect. And so it's interesting that Paul uses this because it distorts this view of love. It distorts the very nature of who God is. And it says they become lovers of self and lovers of, lovers of pleasure rather than what we are called to be, lovers of God, the one who exemplified it perfectly for us. So we're going to take our time here as we work through each one of these. We're going to look at each one in depth and say, what do all these mean? So let us begin. He says, lovers of self. Phileatos, a compound of the Greek word for love or affection, phileo, and autos meaning self, self-love. Love in and of itself is not a bad thing. We see in John chapter 16 and verse 27, for the Father himself loves you, phileo, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. John chapter 20 and verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, phileo, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. The problem here is that love has been taken away from its proper place. In relationship to God and to one another as it's supposed to be. And it's now been given over to self. It's become love of self. One has been elevated the self and the other, God and others, lowered. We see this plaguing the church today. Those that are under false teaching, more and more saying, don't worry about changing your life. Don't worry about coming under submission to God, showing him love through your obedience. God loves you the way you are. You can stay as you are. You don't have to do anything. This is why we have so many false progressive churches today that are preaching you can be living in open rebellion against God. We don't care if you do drugs. You don't have to stop that. We don't care if you're living an immoral sexual lifestyle. You can keep doing that. Actually, we'll even bless it. We'll celebrate your supposed wedding between two men or two women. 
This is the problem that we see happening more and more. Churches professing that God is love, and since he is love, do whatever you want. It's just wrong. As a sinner, you are truly under the wrath of God. God has been gracious and merciful enough to hold back his judgment upon you, but it will not go on forever. And so he gives us the first example of what it looks like of these false teachings, these false doctrines. People become lovers of self. The next one, lovers of money, materialism, a craving for earthly possessions and wealth, covetous, greedy. It's not to be confused with the rightful appreciation for money, right? That which is earned through work, providing for oneself and one's family. But it's rather what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain. He goes on to say the same thing in Titus chapter 1. They must be silenced, talking about these false teachers, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. What do we know to be true about the love of money? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sadly, once again, we see this plaguing the church, right? We have the prosperity gospel being professed throughout the land. And not just in America. It's made its way into third world countries. People suffering, unable to feed their own families, and yet being called upon to give every last dime that they have, telling them that they will receive more in return. We just saw it in the news. I don't know if you saw this recently. A so-called pastor in Kansas City was taped condemning his church for not buying him a watch. Walking around professing that these men men and women were broke because they hadn't bought him a Movado watch. He starts listing off all kinds of names of designer clothing and designer items and he says... You know they sell a Movado watch at Sam's Club. You could have bought me one. Shame. Pure shame. This is what we will see happening in false teaching. People becoming truly lovers of money. He goes on to say, Proud, boastful, empty pretender. Bragging about one's accomplishments. One's, you know, a person who's always a one-upper. Or as me and friends used to say, a cool reaper. You'd always try and kill your cool. Deceiving others with fanciful tales and lies. Always taking something to the next level to show you up. Proud. We see that this is happening in the false teachers of Timothy's day. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Making confident assertions shows such pride. They had no clue what they were saying. They had no clue what they were doing, the damage they were causing. But they would go out and they'd make confident assertions because of their pride. Arrogant. Boastful. And arrogance. Pride and arrogance are closely related. Placing oneself above others. Superiority. 
We see in Luke chapter 18, a perfect example. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4 and verse 6, quoting Proverbs, God opposes the proud or the arrogant, but gives grace to the humble. We see this happening in churches today, forgetting that we are indeed sinners that God has saved, and instead believing that we are superior to others. Having men stand before churches, gatherings of supposed believers, professing believers, and saying, Look at all those people out there. Shame on them. Condemn them. Being proud. Being arrogant. And then being abusive. The word for, in Greek for abusive is blasphemos. Like blasphemy, right? A blasphemer. Speaking evil or slander. Reproachful. Railing against. There can be two forms that are mentioned here. The larger sense of speaking of just speaking evil, slandering one another. But within the church, this is communication that is rude and selfish rather than selfless as we have called to be. We have called to show one another more and more honor and yet being abusive is going against that. It's natural, right? If you love yourself, if you love money, if you're proud and arrogant, of course you'll be abusive. Why wouldn't you? You naturally despise others. You love yourself so much that you're willing to put down anyone else. These are all things that are coming out of these doctrines of false teaching. Disobedient to parents. Rebelling against authority of the parent. This was an offense that was amounted to rebellion in general, which would have been manifest in numerous ways. In the Old Testament, it was closely linked that when you disobeyed your parents, it was like disobeying God, right? We saw it even in the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your mother and your father. There was a sense in which disobedience to parents was closely linked with being disobedient to God himself. So disobedience to parents is seen here because eventually it'll be disobedience to authority as a whole. Disobedience to God. Disobedience to his word. Disobedience to those that he has put in positions of authority over you. Bosses. Politicians. Civil servants. Ungrateful. Having no sense of gratitude or thankfulness. Truly believing that you deserve everything that you get without any real sense of reality. One thing that a priest I used to know and spend a bit of time with back in my Catholic days 
told me, and it stuck with me for many years, and I think it's, it is a word of truth here. He looked at me one day and he said, Christian, let me remind you, you deserve nothing. You deserve nothing. Because the reality is, is that we don't. You have nothing that you deserve. The only thing you deserve is God's wrath to be poured upon you. That was the same for me, and that's the same for all of us. The only thing we truly deserve is God's wrath. But false teachers today, and even in Timothy's time, are pushing this narrative that God wants the best for you. That's what he was talking about with um, Hymenaeus, right? And he was saying earlier that the resurrection has happened. This thought of the resurrection having happened meant that you were going to experience everything of the resurrection now. That means you'll get all that you wished and wanted. You're deserving of it. But that's not the case. And this is a thing that, is that has been professed in the church till this day. You deserve more. You deserve better. God desires to give you everything. Creating these ungrateful individuals. Not realizing that they are deserving solely to be sent into hell for all eternity. And it's only by his grace that they can even come before him today. Unholy. Gross indecency. Impious. Wickedness. Driven by self-love, lustful passions, and a desire for self-pleasure. False doctrines always point people towards more and more ungodliness. More and more unholiness. Self-love giving way to pursuing whatever wicked or impious feelings or desires that you may have. Heartless. The Greek word here points to something of being without natural affection. Almost as being inhuman. Caring nothing for the welfare of others. Even those closest to them. How do we see this happening? How do we know that it occurs? Abuse. Murder. Brutality. Violence against one another. These are all signs of heartlessness. It happens even in the midst of professing believers. We see it sadly far too often where... A pastor is caught up in some kind of brutality, abuse, violence towards another person. They are heartless because they are not true believers. Unappeasable. Never being satisfied. Unwilling to change or address any matter of a situation. Always angry. Never being able to be calmed down. Always on edge. Never willing to compromise or reconcile. Breaking down every relationship that they are in because of unforgiveness. The first time they get wronged, instead of turning and saying, I forgive you. Let us talk. Let us reconcile. Instead, what they do is they say, I'm done with this. You wronged me. The relationship is over. I can't take it anymore. It's leading people to leaving churches and breaking bonds. How often do we hear of people feeling wronged by a church and instead of addressing the issue, they flee. They run and they find another church. They search out someone else, some other false teacher probably to tickle their ears. 
This is not what believers are called to do. They're called to be appeasable, willing to forgive, to be reconciled. Slanderous, gossips. It's thought of as being one of the harmless sins, right? Well, it's okay if we talk some. It's okay if we kind of make up false stories a little bit. But it is evil and it's destructive. The Greek word here is dialobos, diabolical. Or sorry, diabolos, diabolical, accuser. It's the same word that's used for Satan himself 34 times in the New Testament. The slanderer. It's damaging of the reputation of the innocent. Without self-control. No shame or inhibition. No concern for the right or wrong of their actions, but acts solely based on their own passions and ambitions and desires. Unlike the believers who are given the gift of self-control, these false teachers and those that follow under false doctrines have none. Brutal. Speaks to savagery. It's the same word that's used to talk about animals in the wild, saying that they're brutal, savages, attacking and tearing one another apart, tearing them to pieces, malicious and insensitive, no care for any sense of the well-being of another person, willing to destroy them completely. Not loving good. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, saying that they don't love the good things that God has given. He's given a righteous decree, a good decree, but they don't love it. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. God is good. And so saying that God is good by saying that they are not loving good, they are not loving God. They lack appreciation and a pursuit of virtuous behavior. Treacherous, betrayal of trust, deceptive actions. They're traitors. Treacherous was a term that was then used for many who apostatized in the early church and later writings that we don't see quite here. But early Christian writers would use treachery or treacherous to talk about people who had left the faith. They call them traitors. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 21 and 22. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And father is child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Treacherous, right? And you will be hated by all, my, all for my namesake. There's treachery amongst them. Willing to turn one another over, to betray one another. Trust doesn't matter. There's no desire to even maintain it. Reckless. Being careless, negligent, rash, or hot-headed. Never thinking or caring for the impact of others. But acting according to one's own emotions and feelings. Brothers and sisters, we're called as believers to not act according just to our emotions and our feelings. We're called to act with logic. Called to act according to truth. Our feelings will fool us many times. Our feelings will tell us things that are not there and that are not true. And we are called to act according to the truth. Swollen with conceit. 
intensely, so to be swollen, right, is to be intensely affected or filled, to be puffed up with conceit, excessively proud or vain. It's the sense of being blind with your own pride, self-delusion, not even being able to look out in any sense of truth because you're so caught up in yourself, you can't even see past it, can't even see past yourself. It's to be rendered foolish or stupid. And he finishes, he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We get another compound, right, of phileo, love, and hedone, pleasure. Hedone meaning like hedonism. That's where we get the word hedonism or hedonist. It's a person that's seeking solely their own pleasures and sexual satisfaction and food and comfort, indulgences, being totally consumed with every sense and every faculty of themselves being pleasured at all times. But it doesn't just stop there. It includes satisfaction in perverse things like slander and brutality and treachery, putting oneself as supreme over all others, dominating every situation. These are the people that are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. John chapter 3, verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. These people are blinded. They're living in complete darkness. The lights come, and yet they are caught up with love of their own pleasures rather than the love of God. Lovers of God do not do these things. Lovers of pleasure do. These false teachers seem to make it sound like they are lovers of God, but everything that they say that they do because of him is not for him or not because of him. Notice what he says. He says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Appearance, meaning form, or points to this outward appearance of something, an outward look of something. False teacher having an appearance of godliness, it's saying that they look like they are godly people. They walk around as if they are godly people. They come up to a pulpit as if they are godly people. They hold a Bible as if they are godly people. They use Christian style of words as if they are godly people. They say things like, Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh yeah, the Lord will bless that. Keep God first. But notice what it says. They deny the power. What is this power that they deny? It's the power given to the true believer in the gospel as a means for salvation to save, but also the Holy Spirit, which empowers them to then have be sanctified, right? To pursue sanctification and the ability to then suffer for the sake of Christ as we see in 2 Timothy. They deny that power. They have the appearance of godliness. They seem to be godly, but they deny its power. And he says, avoid such people. This is a standing order for all of you. If you are a believer in the Lord Lord Jesus Christ, avoid such people. Avoid false teachers and false doctrines. As we saw last week, flee, flee youthful passions. Flee. 
Pursue righteousness, love, peace. MacArthur in his uh, commentary on this section had three guidelines for judging whether someone is a uh, is from God or a false teacher. And I just want to share them because I thought they were good and helpful. As you look upon any person, any teacher of the faith as they claim to be, you have three guidelines. First, his creed. What are his beliefs? If his beliefs are not found and grounded in Scripture, he is not sent by God. By God, You are done with him. Avoid them. That's it. It's already a done deal. His personal character, number two. Even if his creed is solid and biblical, if you see ungodly living, you can know that he is a false teacher. Godly belief produces godly behavior. We saw that all throughout 1 Timothy, right? That was the whole premise. Godly beliefs result in godly actions, godly behaviors. This is how the church ought to behave. Godly belief equals godly behavior. And number three, his followers. If the people that are listening to him, week in and week out, talking about him, if they are weak, unconcerned with biblical truths, living ungodly lives, then this is cause for concern. This is not to say that there won't be people who do these things, but if this is the vast majority of the people that are listening to this individual, then you can say that they are probably not sent from God. God honoring preachers will bring truth from the pulpit every week. And that will bear upon the lives of the believers that are listening. Unlike false teachers who will produce not only not saved people, but people who are downright ungodly. They will give them all of these things. They will give them the senses of all they've wanted, right? A self-love and a love for money. Love for self-pleasure. They will make them lack self-control. They will never call on them to turn from their sin, and turn to righteousness. So you have three things here. His creed, his character, and his followers. If any of these don't line up, avoid such people. So we've seen that in the last days there will be difficult times and disdainful actions. Let us look at our third point. In the last days there will be disordered ambitions. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Sorry, I said verses 6 through 8, but I meant 6 and 7. Paul almost seems to go on a hiatus in these just couple of verses. He mentions false teachers and those that are around them. And then he kind of goes off to talk about a specific group of people. However, this is all coming back to the main point of false teaching. Because we know that these are what false teachers do. He says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. For in the midst of false teachers are those who creep, sneak, enter in stealthily, undetected, into a home and capture weak women. Weak women is talking about a specific group of women, not all women in general. So 
No one will throw shade here saying, all women are weak. That's not the case of what he's talking about. He's talking about specific women, and he's saying, these women who at this time may have been widows, may have been just women that were lacking true biblical doctrines, these weak women, these, these false teachers and those amongst them would sneak into their homes and capture them. What does that mean? Capture them means capture their minds. Make them a follower. These weak women were gullible. Women who were easily swayed by one thing or another. As he says, they were burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Burdened with sins being weighed down by their past sins and things that they are continuing to struggle with. Not a specific type. There's no specific guarantee of what type of sin it was. But this sin cast a burden on their conscience. Made them vulnerable to lies. Looking for any easy out. Led astray by various passions. Inability to ward off harmful impulses. Being led by them. Enslavement to the various various lusts or passions of their flesh. These women were weak because they were looking to get an easy way out. They were looking for someone to say, here's how you break free, or they were looking for somebody to say, it's okay to be this way. And so they would just go back and forth between different people being captured by these men that would come out of these false doctrines and false teachings. We see this happening all over the place today. It says, always learning and never able to arrive at their knowledge of the truth. These women were frequently moving from one false teacher to another. It includes a variety of Christian doctrines. Women that were never sound in the biblical truths. But willing to follow whoever would say the right things. The soothsayer, the one that would tickle their ears, right? The one that would give them exactly what they wanted puffing them up with knowledge, but they would never arrive at the truth. Always learning new things. Always learning some special skill. Always learning some spiritual gifting. Always being told, if you just follow our 10-step program, you will have your gift nailed down and you'll be able to follow in it. If you come to all our courses, you'll be able to heal and speak in tongues and you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. They never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. A deep understanding, a comprehension. It's what God has called in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires that everyone knows the truth and the gospels of this, the gospel truth, right? The reality is, is that these women would never arrive there. Because they were so caught up with learning everything else but never getting to the heart of the issue. Never willing to address their sin, to put to death their sin, and to know the truth of the gospel. And we come to our last point. Verses 8 and 9. We've seen that in the last days there will be difficult times, disdainful actions, and disordered ambitions. Now let us turn our attention to our final point. There will be denial of truth. Read with me again verses 8 and 9. Just as Iannis Iambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. 
but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Iannis Iambres, never mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. So we don't, it's, it's kind of a confusing question, who are these men? Well, it's believed that these were actually part of the magicians that opposed Moses. The magicians that were called up by Pharaoh to oppose Moses. I'm going to turn back to Exodus chapter 11. Sorry, chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading here in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it might become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. And they, the magicians of Egypt, talking about these two men, and maybe others, but at least these two men for sure, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And we see the magicians doing things throughout this time. And so this is who they're talking about, those that opposed Moses. Jewish tradition assumes or says that these men, Iannis and Iambres, were the two men that were the magicians of Pharaoh. It's funny because the word or the names have meaning. Iannis means he who vexes or seduces, calls people into seduction. Iambres, he who makes rebellion. And he says, so these men also oppose the truth. Speaking again about false teachers, Paul has taken another example of false teachers out in the world, and he says, these men will also oppose the truth. These false teachers that you will experience. Matthew 24, 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. We know that there will be those that come to lead others away. Opposing the truth of the word of God. Opposing God himself. We see that happening far too often even today. Men corrupted in mind. This points us back again to Romans chapter 1 verses 28 and 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. To, what, to do what ought not to be done. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only give, do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Men who are in a constant state of corruption and depravity. And disqualified regarding the faith. Disqualified, reprobate, rejected. It's the same term that's used in light of purifying metals. Metals that did not pass the purity test would be thrown out. They were useless. Men who claimed to believe, be believers but were not. They were unfit for the ministry that they thought they were taking on. That they placed themselves in. But they will not get very far. First, it's important to understand that this does not mean that they will not do much damage. False teachers will do damage. And they will seem to prosper. 
They will seem to have everything going for them. Money. Influence. Large crowds that gather to hear them. Books. TV appearances. They're everywhere. It doesn't mean that they won't seem to be prosperous. This does not also mean that they will be ineffective in their efforts. Sadly to say, these false teachers may do much damage. However, their success will never be total or continuous. Timothy, therefore, Timothy and preachers today, God-honoring biblical preachers, should never feel demoralized by the false teachers, by the success that they seem to have, by the influence that they share. Their days and their progress will come to an end. For their folly will be plain to all. Eventually their foolishness will be made visible. To the true believer, it will definitely be made obvious, right? The true believer will see it and they'll say, this is foolishness, this is folly. They're pointing me away from God and away from his truth. They're in error, but their folly will be made known to all as was that of those two men. Ioannis and Iambris were made to look like fools both in this world and in the end when they died. They stood before an almighty God, an almighty God who would lay down his just judgment upon them. But we also know that in Exodus chapter 9, they say, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And there's a part that they say, this is clearly from God. We can't do it. Friends, this first section of chapter 3 is kind of a dark one. It's a sad reality about false teaching and the implications that come with it. The godlessness that we will see in this time from Christ's first coming until his second We've seen it happen throughout history. We've seen it spike in different times and in different places. But we know that it's ever-present and impacting upon the lives of many. Sadly, in these last days, there, as we're currently in, there's going to be more and more preachers and teachers and professing believers who have, come to be, who have become lovers of self rather than lovers of God. There are many that have taken the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and have turned completely away from it. They have failed to love their neighbor as themselves. They have just traded it in for I'll love myself alone. As I have called upon you in the last couple weeks, I call upon you again. Examine what you are consuming. If you are listening to any false teacher... And how do we remember those? Remember, by his creed, by his life, and by his followers. Examine what you are consuming. If you are listening to false teachers, this list that we, are, that we are working through, you will see start to happen, both in them and in you. Our desire is to be an honorable vessel, one that is fit for every good work, one that is set apart as holy, Useful for the master. We cannot do that if we're caught up in love of self. 
But let us not think that if we just avoid such teaching, we are good. Examine yourselves. This goes for myself too. Examine. Put to death any sense of love for self. Anything that supersedes love for God and love for one another. Seek to love God and love one another as Christ has called upon you to do. Put love of God as central to everything that you do. Every aspect of your life and see the natural outflowing. When you love God, you will naturally love one another. When you love God, you will honor Him and you will not find yourself in these things. You will bring Him glory and honor as He deserves. Brothers and sisters, as we look at this reality of ongoing false teaching that was happening when Christ was alive and continues to happen today, we can be discouraged at times. How and why does this keep coming up? How is it that we're battling some of the same heresies and doctrinal errors that were happening in Christ's time today? How do these things continue to occur? It can be discouraging. How do people continue to fall for them? How do people continue to get caught up in them? But friends, don't be discouraged. Rather, be encouraged. Paul closed out with, Hope for Timothy, which we'll see continued into next week. It says, don't fret over the false teacher. They seem to gain things, but don't worry about it, for they will not get far. Their folly will be made, made plain to all. What an encouragement for us. Even in the midst of evil, as we look out on this world, as we look into the church and you see these false teachers, these Professors of faith that are living in complete contradiction to it. We can know that their time will come to an end. Their folly will be made known. There will be a time where they will no longer have the seeming power that they have. And we will see that this comes into more fruition as we look into the rest of chapter 3. We'll see Paul continue to encourage Timothy in the salvation found in Christ and the reality of God's word being sufficient for all things. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged, rather be encouraged. You have a God who is on your side, who is battling, and who will, at the end, finish it completely. These false teachers will meet their end. Their folly will be made known, and his glory will reign forevermore. Let us close this morning in prayer.